One more praise before you sit. Amen. Baby, seated. Every moment in Israel was special. As you heard, I didn't count. How many people were up here? Anyone count? Nine? Nine out of 23. As you heard, nine out of 23 people, some of them, they all shared different things. And really, every part was special. When I landed, it's funny because we went to um, Paris for one day and we took a tour around Paris. We literally, no one mentioned anything about Paris. Because Israel was, and if you're from Paris, from France, we love you here. And man, we liked it. We ate macaroons and they were good. But Israel just outweighed France and Paris so much. Um, it was so special. Um, the Wailing Wall was special for me just for a lot of reasons. Um, a lot of reasons. I didn't know what to pray for in the Wailing Wall because I have so much prayer requests in my heart. And the whole trip, the beginning of the trip, I said, God, I want to pray just for one thing. I don't want to go over there with a piece of paper with 15 things on it. What's the one thing you want me to pray? And, he, and I wouldn't feel anything in my heart. And the sister in the Lord tells me, I want you to pray for something. For our family. And, and she gave me a paper. And right then and there, I couldn't hold my tears. And God says, there's the prayer that I want you to pray. I saw the group, I waited in the back, and I wanted the group to go before me because I didn't want to be bothered in the beginning. I just wanted to pray alone for that prayer petition on that wall. And if I could tell you how much that means, that was probably uh, one of many of the greatest things that happened to me in Israel on that wailing wall. There's so many things. The baptisms, the salvations, the man being raised back to life in the plain. I can't explain it to you. But there's one thing that I want to share today, if I do share anything, and it's the theme that it stuck to everyone in the group as we spoke about in every location. And the theme was, if you're taking notes, which in the house of God we should, amen? It's titled, the theme or whatever, it's called this. It's called, He Alone is God. He Alone is God. And that phrase is special after Israel, real special. He alone is God. It reminds me of, of Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, if you guys know this story, Jesus begins to speak to a man. And this man is a rich young ruler. I'm not even going to get into the story. I'm going to go into one phrase real quick. And as he's speaking to the rich young ruler, show of hands, how many of you have heard of that story of Jesus with the rich young ruler? I've seen some fingers. All right, a lot of your hands. If you haven't, go to um, Luke 18 today sometime and study it and read it over. But in this passage, Jesus begins to counsel this rich young ruler. And as Jesus begins to speak in chapter 18, verse 18, to this young man who was powerful, this man comes up to Jesus and he tells him in verse 18, he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I do to receive this salvation, right? Well, one of the things that we spoke about in Israel a lot was this. That every time Jesus questioned or, or asked a question to a man or to a person, 
It wasn't because Jesus was searching for the answer. For example, I said Adam, when he said, Adam, where are you? He wasn't looking for that answer. He knew where Adam was hiding. When he said, uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He wasn't looking for an answer. He knew the answer. Okay, you guys, you with me? Whenever Jesus would ask a question, it was always this fact right here. It was always to draw something deeper out of the person that he was asking that question to. That's what it was always about. So whenever you look at the text and Jesus asks a question to someone, don't ever write on the book, on the Bible, Jesus had a question because he was confused or he did not know the answer. That's not the truth. It's because he wanted to draw something out of that person. And the only way was by asking a question. So the rich young ruler says, I want to receive eternal life, good teacher. You know what Jesus does? He asks him a question. All throughout the gospel, Jesus answers back with questions. Because Jesus wants to draw something out of the person he's dealing with here. And in this passage, verse 19, he says, good teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him a question in return. And he says, why do you call me good? For no one is good but one, and that is, what's the answer, church? God. I love that. Good teacher, I want eternal life. And he looks at him and says, well, why do you call me good? Because no one should call me good because there's only one that is good, isn't there? And that one is God. And, and the reason why I love that, I want you to notice something in verse 19. Don't misinterpret the text. Jesus was never canceling himself from being God. Jesus, with that question, wanted to reveal to that man's heart that he was the one and true God. So when he asks this young man, why is it that you call me good? There's only one that is good and that is God. He wanted to make sure that that young man knew him for who he was. And that was that he alone is God. So when he says, why do you call me good? He was, he was singling out that there's only one that is good. And the one that is good is God. And in that conversation he wanted to make sure that this young rich ruler knew that he alone was the one good God and all of God's people say amen that was the introduction but in Israel we saw this we in Israel we went to different sites and the Lord gave us different themes in different sites but there was that one theme that one thing that consistently was spoken, it was that he alone is God. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. He alone is God. He alone is God. He alone is God. And as I stand up here, and many have asked and called and texted, and, and I see today, well, well, how was it like? I can't explain it. So today I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed with emotions, thoughts, excitement. I can't explain it. I really can't. It's difficult for me to put it into words what I've experienced in my days in Israel and especially in the city of Jerusalem. But there is one thing. There is one thing that has been cemented in my heart, has been cemented in my heart today more than ever. And that one thing after I went to Israel, after I walked through the streets of Jerusalem, the one thing that has been cemented in my heart now more than ever is that my God, he alone is the true and living God. 
You know, maybe you doubt sometimes. Maybe you go to bed sometimes and you look at your roof and you think, could there really be a God? Am I emotional? You know, did I just fall into my mother's religion? You know, is this really real? How do I know that's not the right religion and that's not the right religion and mine is the real religion? And I'm going to tell you something. It's been more cemented more than ever after visiting Jerusalem that God is God alone. And that's for sure. And that's what happened to me. I'm just speaking for, at least for myself, and I bet you everyone else would say this too. But while I was there, I saw Jews, many of them, most of them actually, who did not have not one drop of religion in them, one drop, a drip of spirituality. I saw Jews that didn't even practice Judaism, probably don't even know much about it. And you think when you're here in the States, well, everyone over there is practicing Judaism. And then you go there and you're like, well, it's actually not true. But then I saw other Jews that were so devoted to their faith, so devoted to their religion, that it's become a bad thing because it's made them blind to the truth that is set before them. And that is that Christ is their Messiah. And they've been blinded by religiosity. One of the cool things and one of the things that we've, do not experience in the States was this. I got to hear chants through loudspeakers, chants of loud prayers and calling all Muslims everywhere to pray. That is goosebumps, your hair just stand up on your body. And you're just like, what's happening here? It's like a movie. And the chants go on and the Muslims everywhere begin to pray all throughout Jerusalem and they're calling all the Muslims to pray. You see Muslims who are not, or Arabs who are not, Palestinians who are not religious, and then you see others that are. Muslims that are so religious and so devoted, worshiping a God that is said to be the same God as ours, Allah. But the truth is, when you really study their doctrine and their Quran, it truly is so false and so separated from who our God really is. Amen? I saw people worship while I was in Israel. I saw people worship images. Now, now listen to me. I saw people worship statues and stones and places where Christ was thought to be born and crucified and laid and buried in. I saw people worship those things all while wondering, are we really that in love? Are we really that in love with Jesus? Or is it that we are more in love with the religiosity that comes from Jesus? You guys know what I'm talking about when I say that? Are we more in love with Jesus or example? Are we more in love with the traditions that comes from Jesus? With the holy sites, with the saints, with all these different things that, with the, with the prayers and the man-made prayers and the man-made chants, are we more in love with those things or are we in love with the person of God, the person of Christ? So I started to see that in different places that I went. And I, sometimes I voiced my concern or my thoughts to people, but most of the time I was quiet in the trip because I wanted people to get their own feeling of what was going on. And in my heart what was going on was as you bow and as you worship such an image or such a man-made thing, is your, God, is your love for God and your worship for God greater than that stone that you're kissing or that statue that you're bowing to or that site that you call holy or, or whatever it could be? You know, we stood in the Mount of Olives, and as we stood there, we saw the holy city. 
of Jerusalem. And on top of it, it really is a city set up on a hill. It's a beautiful thing. When you're there, I was telling the group, you literally feel like you're above every other town. Like when you're in Jerusalem, you feel like you're looking down at the rest of the world. It's almost the way God built it. It's, it's, so, it's so godly the way he built Jerusalem. It's weird. It's pretty cool. And when you stand on the top of Jerusalem, you literally feel like you're closer to God. Like you feel like you could just like almost get on your tippy toes and reach a, a star, the moon. It's, I can't explain it. You have to be there to understand that. It's really a city set up on a hill. It's weird. But when I was standing on the Mount of Olives and I was watching the hill of Jerusalem and watching the, the, the Dome of the Rock and, and where the temple used to be and the Holy of Holies and where God's people and the priests and the Levites and everyone used to worship. And I, and I started to see that and I... And I see what it is now, a mosque, and I see what they're, what they're arguing about and what the Jews want it to be. I started to think about all that, and that's good. The temple's good. Trust me, I want the temple to come back because the faster the temple comes back, the faster God is coming back. Amen? Whatever. Trust me, it's in Revelation. But as I was watching that, I said, that's all good. And, the, and really, the dome, I'm, I'm not a Muslim, but the mosque is beautiful. You should see that golden dome. is gorgeous. And, but you're there, and you're like, is your worship and your love for God greater than what's on that hill? Because that's not God. For years, Jerusalem was built up, destroyed, built up, destroyed, built up, destroyed, built up, destroyed, built up, destroyed. You want to know why the answer is? It hit me when I was in Jerusalem. Because he wanted the people of Israel to know that he alone is God. You can't stray away from me. And I'm watching that. And I'm seeing that. And I'm recognizing this. What would Jesus say of these things? Or does Jesus still say these about, does he still say something about these things? And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the children of Israel. It reminded me of the children of Israel, how they would worship the one true God. It reminded me of their crossing of Egypt to the Red Sea into the wilderness. It reminded me of all the provision that God gave them. But then out of nowhere, in the midst of all the provision, they begin to turn their back on God and they begin to serve other gods. And God's like, why do you serve other gods? And he says, Moses, come up to the mountain. This is all in Exodus. And as Moses comes up to the mountain, he says, they have fear for me. They don't want me to speak to you. So they chose you as the leader. So now I must speak to you, Moses. And you need to go down to the valley and tell the children of Israel everything that I tell you. And he begins to give Moses laws. And he gives them these Ten Commandments as well. And he says, tell them because they continue to what? They continue to stray and I need to build boundaries around them called the law so that they could abide by my statues. And in one of them, look what the Lord says. If you're taking notes, you could write this. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. Check this out, church. You think Jesus is still saying this today? Watch this. You're going to love this. Fall in love with the text. Fall in love with scripture. You hear me say this every Sunday, chew on this thing. Man, let the, let the flavors, let it just play around with your taste buds. You're eating a good steak and it's just like, and you're like, oh. Let, let it mess with you. Let, let the text do that to you today. Watch this. Exodus 20 says this, you, you shall make for yourselves, not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. Look at verse 5. You shall, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. And he says, for I, the Lord your God. I. Did you notice what he said? What did he say? I. Not we. Not us. What's the answer? It's me. I, the Lord your God, he's saying. Him. Him alone. And then he says this. 
For I am a jealous God, and I visit the sin, the iniquity of fathers upon children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And, and he's making a point here in verse 4 and 5 as he gives them the Ten Commandments. And the children of Israel are serving other gods, and, and they forgot that they serve the one true God. Listen, church, you and I, we serve the one true God. There is no reason to ever look elsewhere, amen? Trust me, he, she, they, it, them, that will never be better, never be greater than your God. Trust me, I've seen great men come, great men fall, man. And I'm telling you, one that has always come and has never fallen, his name is Jesus and he alone is God. I might come and I might fall. I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm not God. You might come and you might fall. I'm going to tell you why. Because you're not God. But there is one that cannot be taken off his throne. Jesus is God. And, and we see this. He's telling this. And, and, and it's the whole doctrine of monotheism where we serve one true God, not multiple gods. And we need to understand that. Because I know in my life, and now I'm really, not, I'm really not even looking at you or pointing at you or highlighting anything in your life. I'm talking about me. Because I know in my life, I feel as if I worship that in which I do not know. Anyone ever been there? Sometimes you're worshiping. Sometimes you're praying. And you're like, what in the world am I doing? What in the world am I saying? Where in the world am I going? One of the passages that I love, it's actually found in John we're going through the Bible, taking a field trip today. But in John chapter 4, Jesus, Jesus needs to go somewhere. And in the process of going somewhere, he crosses through a town that no Jew crosses through. It's called Samaria. And as Jesus is crossing through Samaria, it's, 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 this is a special encounter. Let me tell you why. Because he's been traveling for a while. And when you travel in the sun for a while, you know that you get very, very what? Right. You get very thirsty. So there's a woman at the well where he falls at and he, he kind of rests at. And the woman there is drawing out some water. And as this woman is drawing out some water, there's an amazing um, dialogue that takes place between the Samaritan woman and Jesus. And as this dialogue is taking place, hey, listen, Jesus is asking her questions. You want to know why Jesus is asking her questions? Right. He wants to draw something out of her. He's not confused. He's not worried. He doesn't need the answer. For example, one of the questions was, hey, can, can you go call your husband over here? The woman is stunned. Her eyes. You've ever told someone to so Something to someone, if you ever tell someone to something, that would be weird. But have you ever told something to someone? And their eyes just go, how'd you know about that? I guess not from your faces. But Jesus looks at her and says, go call your husband. And she goes, well, well I don't have any husband or husbands. Well, so what are you talking about? And he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. And then he, he draws something out of her. He says, the last five that you've been with, they weren't your husbands either. But you sure have been acting like they were your husbands, if you know what I mean. You know, I don't know if Jesus winked. I doubt it. <laughs> Did you get it? Did you catch what I'm trying to tell you? You weren't behaving like friends. And she's in shock. 
And they begin to dialogue and they begin to talk about where they're at. And, and I'm not going to go through the whole story, but I want to grab a, a section of the story. And it's actually found in verse 22 of chapter 4 of the book of John. As they are speaking with one another, the woman begins to say, wow, you must be a prophet. Because you know all these things about me. And Jesus is like, if you only knew I'm more than a prophet. I alone am. Right, you're catching on to it. You'll get it in like 10 minutes. You're going to get it. If you only knew I'm more than a prophet, I alone am God. But whatever, she didn't know that yet. So she's like, well, I come over here because our fathers, they, they worshiped on this mountain. And, and you Jews say it's that mountain. And our fathers say it's this mountain. And we're all confused. Watch this. Watch this. Come here. We don't know where to worship. Do we worship at that church? Or do we worship at this church? Or do we go to that? And Jesus is looking at her. And he's like, I care less what mountain you go to or what building structure you go to. And she's all perplexed about what's going on, right? And Jesus says something in verse 22. I'm going to grab a part of it, and it's an amazing phrase. And he tells her this. You worship that which you what? You do not know. So here you are going to this mountain, there we are going to that mountain, and everyone says it's a different mountain, and everyone's worshiping at a different place, and you say that prayer, and I say this prayer, and this is your God, and this is my... And Jesus is like, the truth, the reality of all this is, you don't even know who you're worshiping, so who cares where you go? You know how many people I've met? I'm not even going to say it. Let's go back to the text. You worship what you do not know. It's powerful. Can I, can I give you another biblical example? I'm going to give it to you. It's in the book of Acts. We're taking a field trip. In Acts chapter 17, it's an amazing, uh, it's actually one of my favorite passages in Acts. It really is. That's hard to say because there's so many favorite parts, but this is one of my favorite. But in Acts 17, here's Paul and he's, he gets to a place in Athens, right, where these scholarly men are at, these scholarly Athenians, I believe they're called. And as he's in Athens, he's, he's in a place that is called Oropagus, what we know as Mars Hill. And it, here's where the scholars of scholars would have their conversations. Basically, this is who the who's of who's would be at. Your intellectuals, your your professors at Harvard and Columbia and, and all these different, this is where they would meet and brag and, and talk and share stories. And you just sit there like, what are you guys talking about? Because I don't understand anything you're saying. It was right here in Oropagus, Mars Hill. And let's go, let's go through the passage here. In Acts chapter 17, verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Oropagus, and he said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you are very what? What does he say? You're very religious. Are you guys catching that? Very religious. For example, if you uh, grab someone from the street that has never walked into a church and you grab them right now and you put them through these doors and you stand them right here, he might look at you guys here at New Life and say, I perceive that you are all very what? Yeah, because I like to sleep in on Sundays. You guys woke up, got dressed, and came over here. You have to be. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So... So look what he says. I perceive that you are very religious. Look at 23. Well, why do you perceive that? Well, verse 23, for I was passing through your town, 
and considering the objects of your worship. But then I even found, I found an altar. And on top of the altar, there was an inscription. And the inscription said, to the unknown God. Isn't that amazing? I figure you're very religious. Why do you say that? Because you worship a God that you do not know. Hey, does that sound familiar? Jesus with the Samaritan woman. For you worship someone who you do not. She and the Athenians had something in common. They were worshiping a God they did not know. I am going to say this. May we never be a church that sits in these seats. Come on, listen. And worship a God that we do not know. If you come to new life, you need to know God. Not because I'm forcing you, because he wants to make himself known to you. Amen? That's a good amen spot. Know God. I'm going to talk a little bit more about knowing God. I don't want to steal it. Yeah, hold on. So therefore, the one, notice the capitalization there of the translation. The one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Ain't that awesome? Can you imagine being amongst the elite of the elite and said, you worship someone you don't know. And they're like, that's true. So what do we do? He's like, I come with the answer. I know who it is that you're to worship. And they're like, you found out who he is. And then look at this, look at this. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and on earth, he does not do, man, this is good. Remember, true? Eat it, let the, okay. Yeah, filter. This is amazing. I love text. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Is that good? Is that good scripture there? Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Look at 27. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope. Everyone circle, highlight, underline, write that in your notes, the word grope. So that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. For also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, I can't even preach on that verse, there's so much, but look at 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we are not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver. Um, guys that went to Israel, does this sound familiar? Don't think it's gold or, or silver or stone. Now you know what was going on in my head when I was walking around Israel. And you guys are like, why is he so I was thinking about this verse. Or stone, and, and he goes on and he says this. Or something shaped by art or by man's devising. Look at verse 30. For truly the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now, everyone say now. Good. But now he commands all men everywhere to what? Good. To repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, that's Jesus, whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to us all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some mocked Paul while others said we will hear you again on this matter this is good stuff what you're saying Paul look at verse 34 however some men joined him and believed among them were these guys I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names it's amazing so here's Paul and here's the part of the scripture I want to talk about real quick and Paul sees this altar to an unknown God. He says, I've come to you to tell you about the one whom you do not know. I'm going to proclaim him to you. Watch this. He's not in temples made with hands. 
nor is he worshipped with man's hands as if he needs anything. But then he says this in verse 27. But that you should seek the Lord in hope and that you might grope for him. You want to know what that word grope means, to grope someone? Well, you know what the word grope means. To what? Handle. Touch. Take possession of. And here's Paul, and he's like, you build these altars, you build these images, and you worship them to try to get to your God, but the one who I present to you, he is longing to be shown to you, and he longs for you to grope, to handle, to feel, to touch him, and that you will find him, because if you seek him and find him and touch him, then you will know that he's actually not far from you, but he's present right there in your very moment. And then he says this, you've been ignorant. You've been making these arts and these structures and you've been worshiping this stone and these images with these buildings. But then he says this in verse 30. The times of ignorance, your ignorance, he says, God has overlooked it, Athenians. But right now he commands all men everywhere to what, church? Well, what do you think he's commanding men to repent to? Anyone know the answer? That he alone, that he alone is God. And when I read Acts 17, they're worshiping a God they do not know. How sad is that to come to church every Sunday and worship a God you do not know? Hear a message about a God you do not know. Be around the people that worship a God that you do not know. And here are these men, scholarly men, men who did not know the true and living God, who built temples made by man's hands, which he no longer dwells in as Paul reveals to them. And then he tells them, if you only knew that he draws near to you, watch this. If you could just touch him, handle him, and grope him, and you could just repent, and if you could just know that he alone is God. Man, I'm almost about to end. Give me about maybe 10 minutes. Watch how powerful I'm going to end this because I'm going to close off with a psalm that's going to bless your heart. I'm going to go to 1 Samuel, and then I'm going to go to Psalm. In 1 Samuel, we find ourselves with a woman. A woman who is so frustrated with herself and with God. Listen, because she can't have a child. And she is crying out to her God, and she is so bitter, and she is filled with so much sorrow. And her name is Hannah. Anyone ever heard of Hannah? And as she is with Hannah, and she can't have any, as, as her name is Hannah, and she can't have any children, and she's filled with this sorrow and bitterness. We see an amazing passage in chapter 1. In verses 8 through 18, it describes how she is bitter of soul. And she begins to pray to the Lord and she weeps in anguish. It's so bad that she's by the temple area and there's a priest by the name of Eli. I don't want to give you all the, all the, all the stuff, but you can read it when you get home. I just want to give you the main point. And as Eli looks at her, he says, oh my goodness, this woman is in the house of God and she is drunk. And he looks at her and he says, woman, why are you drunk? Have you drank wine from the temple? You weren't supposed to drink. Why are you drunk in the house of God? As we summarize, she looks at Eli and says, uh, priest, I'm not drunk. I'm filled with so much anguish, anguish and sorrow. What she was doing was this. Everyone look at me. She was probably laying on the floor. And as she was laying on the floor, she was probably looking up. And as she was looking, 
the priest starts to spy on her and she's doing this. And nothing's coming out of her mouth. The priest looks at her and says, this is very weird, a sight I've never seen. She's saying things, but nothing's coming out. She must be drunk. And Hannah looks at the priest and says, I'm not drunk. For actually, I'm filled with sorrow. Well, why are you filled with so much sorrow, Hannah? And he says, because I've been longing to give my husband a son. And to this day, I'm barren. And I can't. I'm without child. When the Eli looks at her, he prophesies to her and speaks to her that he, she will have a son. And then we find ourselves in verses 19 all the way to verse 28, if you could just follow with me. In verse 19 through 28, her husband was going to go to the temple to give worship. And she says, I will not go. And we find Hannah now pregnant with child. Everyone say amen. God did a miracle. And as she's pregnant with child, the husband's going to go on a journey to the temple. And Hannah says, I'm staying home. And when he's born, I'm going to wait for the Jews as it is custom on the eighth day so that I could circumcise my son. So he says, good, you go ahead and do that. I'm leaving. And you stay here and you wean him on the eighth day. Samuel now, her son, is, is born. And as he's born, she waits. Now, I want to follow on if you could look with me on verse 24. Verse 24 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel says this. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord, and the child was young. Verse 25. So then they slaughtered a bull, and they brought the child to Eli. Remember Eli? The same priest. And she said, Oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I've asked of him, 28. So therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord, so long as he lives, that he shall be lent to the Lord, and they worship the Lord there. You want to know what she did? Powerful. She rededicated him back to God. He gives, and I'm going to give it right back. That's a powerful message about giving, but. Here is Hannah with her one treasure, her son. And what she does is very special. She could only do one thing when her prayer of her distress, of bitterness, of sorrow is answered. And the one thing that she does is she takes her son, she takes her blessing to the temple, to the house of the Lord. And she takes it to the priest and she brings an offering and she begins to give thanks and she begins to worship. And she says a powerful prayer and she dedicates him back. Now everyone look at the next chapter with me. First Samuel chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said this, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies. Come on, how many of you have smiled at your enemies lately? She's filled with joy. She's so happy that even her worst enemy can't even bring sorrow to her heart. Because I rejoice in your salvation. Everyone look at verse 2. Now one is holy like, no one is holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. She's praying this to her God. Nor is there any rock like our what? God. What, what is Hannah doing here? No one is holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. You want to know what she's saying? He alone is God. 
powerful. So, as I end, if he alone is God, <coughs> we went to Exodus with the children of Israel. We went to Samaria with the Samaritan woman at the well. We took a field trip to Athens and we visited the Athenians with Paul. Then we went back to the Old Testament and we visited Hannah's household. And Hannah says the same thing, he alone is God. In every place that we went in the text today, it was highlighted. Say it with me. And it's this, that he, he alone is God. So, if he alone is God, then it comes back to us. Listen, because this is what I'm going to wrap it all with, up with. If he alone is God, then there could only be one thing in return. You ready? Write this in your notes. Then we, then we, are his people then we are his people I saw people in Israel if, just let me get your attention I saw people in this land where it all started I don't know if you guys know this but it's crazy to see this and hear this for the first time as I was in Israel. It's crazy to see how less than 1% of the people in Israel believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah and as Lord. Did you hear what I just said? Less than 1% believe in Jesus. Listen, listen. Jesus is most opposed in the place where he came, where he walked, where he taught, where he did miracles, where he died, where he rose, and yet they don't believe. Less than 1% people. I know the Lord loves Israel after being there. I'm going to shock some of you, and I don't mind doing this. You know who else I know the Lord loves so much? He loves the Muslims. You have no idea when you're there. He loves the Jews. He loves the Muslims. He loves that land. And here we are in Miami today. And he loves you. And as I know he loves us and loves Israel... His desire is to be God alone. Amen? God alone in our lives. But as I end today's message, it doesn't end there. If He is God alone in our lives, new life, listen, then we are His people alone to God. If God is our God, then we are His people and what the word of God says about his people is true you see 
God is not just my God. What makes it just as special is that I am also his people. A people that he fights for. A people that he mourns for. A people that he sits right before the Father and he intercedes in prayer for. Because God is not just my God, but he sits on his throne and he looks down at my heart and he says, just as I am your God, Regal, you are my people. But we don't walk like that. We don't talk like that. We don't walk like that, talk like that, live like that, think like that, be like that. If you would only, only read the scriptures and puff up your chest and be filled up with joy and recognize that not only is he your God, but that you are also his people, church. Now who dares to mess with you? Who dares to touch you? Who dares to harm you? I got back from Israel and it's been one bad thing after a bad, bad news here, bad news with the family. But I'm going to promise you something because he alone is God. I alone am his people and no bad news can harm me. If you only knew that. If you only took that. If you only prospered in that truth. And if you just grabbed that. Jesus loves Israel. He loves the Jews. He loves the Muslims. He loves the Arabs. But he also loves the Czechs. And he loves the Ticos that lost yesterday. The Costa Ricans. He even loves the Netherlands, that one. He loves Americans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans. Can you believe that? He loves people that makes lechon in La Caja China. When the Old Testament, you couldn't even do it. He loves you. He loves us. And because he is my God, I need to notice what the scripture says. I alone am his person. I'm going to end right here. And it's found in the book of Psalm. The chapter is 100. And in Psalm 100, the church sent out a text. This morning we received it. And it was part of this passage. Psalm 100 verse 1 says, I'll tell you what, I don't want to be alone. If you believe that he alone is your God and you are his people, I don't want to be alone. Stand in agreement with me and let's close off the service in agreement. If you don't, we love you and it's okay, God's going to reveal this to you, but watch this. In Psalm 100 it says this, it says, make a joyful shout to the Lord. All you lands, you serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, come on, come on, come on, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? Know that the Lord, what, comma, comma, yeah, he, he is God. I missed you guys, man. I missed you guys. It's, so, it's such a blessing to call this home. Amen? God bless you. He alone is God. Verse 3. 
It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Well, thank God for that. I don't have to read the next one, do I? What? So I wasn't lying to you. Oh, he's, he's really grabbing us on this one. No, I'm not. The scripture was, I'm not lying to you. We, we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And, and church, you want to know something? Because we are his people, verse 4, verse 4 already. You enter his gates with what? And you enter his courts with what? And you be what? And you what? Yeah. For the Lord is what? And his mercy is what? Come on, you better act like you're his people. I'm going to start again. Because we're his people, we enter his gates with what? Getting better. And we enter his courts with what? And we are what? And bless his what? I messed up. For the Lord is, his mercy is, and his truth to all generations, to you, to your children, to your children's. Listen, listen. I, amen. Give him praise. Psalm 100 reveals this to us. He says you can know him, that he is God, he's made us, we are his people, and now we can enter. Notice how he says we can enter. Not with fear, but with thanksgiving. We can be thankful because he is good, he is everlasting, he has endured even to all generations. We can thank God for this. So verse 1 and 2, because of all of this, put your eyes back on verse 1 and 2. You make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. And you serve the Lord. You serve the Lord with gladness. Can I be honest? Don't come back next Sunday with a face that is sour with eyes that are drooping and an attitude that you can't talk to you walk in this place next Sunday because you're his people and you're ready to make a joyful shout come on worship team start playing so I can shout that's how you walk in hey I came 10 minutes earlier because I want 10 more minutes of praise come on Put that time clock away. Get the worship team up there in the beginning of service because I want to start worshiping. I want to start showing the Lord that I am glad. I want to start showing the Lord that He is good, that His mercy is everlasting, that He endures to all the generations. I want to make sure of that. Listen, you're going to live. And when you open those doors, it's dark outside, it's gloomy outside, it's rainy outside. You might get bad news as soon as you walk outside, but that never takes it away from the fact that you are still his people outside. And no matter how gloomy, no matter how dark it is, 
you walk out and you make a joyful shout to the Lord. Listen, and you serve him with greatness. How can we worship him? And how can we serve him without greatness? Who do I think I am? Who do we think we are? When we serve him, we serve him in greatness. So when we preach, we preach with greatness. When we wash bathrooms, we wash it with greatness. When we love on the sick, we love on them with greatness. When we translate, with greatness. When we play an instrument, with greatness. When we declare God, it's with greatness. Serve Him with greatness. Make a joyful shout. Because He alone is God. But you are also His people. This is what we're going to do. We haven't done this in a while. People have to go. We love you. Bring everyone here next Sunday. Amen? And I'll see you Friday for our Miami convention on Saturday. But listen, if you got to go, it's rainy. Please drive safe. We love you. You are loved. Get in your cars safely. And enjoy this rest of your Sunday. But if you want to stay in worship... We're going to stay in worship. Don't worry about it. There's no cameras. We don't know. So this is what we're going to do. This is open. If you want to come up here and kneel, if you want to come up here and dance, if you want to smile, if you want to rededicate, if you want to cry, if you want to scream, we're going to spend a minute, a few minutes. I don't even know how many minutes. And we're going to worship him because he deserves it because he alone is God and, and we are his people. So I'm not in a hurry to get into the rain. I actually hate driving in the rain. So Lord, I actually thank you for the rain. Because your rain is going to cause me to worship you longer in this morning here. So Lord, here we are. We worship you, O oh God. We praise you, O oh King. We love you, O oh great God. We make a joyful, joyful shout to your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus Come on, with everything you have. Worship your God. 